0: Hey everyone, this is Devin from the Lonely Mountain Mystics. Before we start today's discussion about evil, we wanted to let you know that this show contains topics including loss, violence, and sexual abuse, which may be triggering to some. Please, make sure that you care for yourself by listening in an environment where you feel safe and supported. Or if you want, feel free to skip this episode altogether. We are so deeply grateful for you, and I speak for all of us when I say that your internal wellness always, always, always takes a priority. With that said, let's get started. Again, thanks for being here.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5, and today we're going to be talking about evil, This turned into a pretty intense discussion, but it ultimately was really meaningful for each one of us. So I hope you enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can go to the website to learn more or to reach out to us. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing it with others or leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It's a quick and free way to really help us out. Thanks, everyone. All right, guys, we're going to talk about evil. We're going to have a really fun conversation about evil. Who's with me?
2: I.
0: Okay. One one of just us. One did. of us. Mostly, Mostly <laughs> will. Mostly will. We're going to fix the world right now. A big
1: deal. Well, that's, we have to first establish if evil even exists. Mm. So that's really, that's question number one. Does evil exist at all? You could all just answer no and we move on or you can, uh, you can expound on
0: that. So for me, when I think about evil, a lot of times I also think about suffering because I, I frequently define evil based on how it causes suffering for others. And so I tend to think that evil exists in the sense of um, suffering is, is made for others at the hands of different things. So I do think that evil exists in the sense of that it's something that we actionably do. So do you make any sort of distinction
1: between like evil and just bad is, is evil like a specific kind of
0: bad? I think that because of, because the connotations of evil, it's, it's a more extreme quote unquote bad, right? So if I, If I bump into somebody, you know, or if I am not paying attention and like accidentally hit somebody with something, right. That's a bad thing. But if I'm like torturing someone that has more connotations towards the evil side of things.
3: So like for you, a sense of intention is part of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that, I think that intention is a big part of it because I think that there's a lot of actions that we would conflate with evil um, that are actually like amoral that that in that context is what dictates them, so I actually was having a conversation earlier this evening, and uh, the person I was talking to was talking about uh, discrimination and how it 's universally bad, and I was cautious to jump on board with that because I think certain types of discrimination are bad. But discrimination in and of itself, the the comparing something to another to pick which is favored and which is better, I think discrimination is amoral, but how we use it can be bad. And so an example that I was, you know, using to kind of describe it to him was, you know, like kidnapping and human trafficking, right? Pretty universally a bad thing. There's an organization that I heard about called Nam's Children, where Krunam essentially breaks into brothels in North Korea, kidnaps children, smuggles them across the border into South Korea. It is the definition of human trafficking in the sense that she is actually, or human smuggling, but she is kidnapping children and taking them somewhere else. Now, in this specific situation, it's an act that normally could be just completely written off as evil. And in the vast majority of situations, it could be written off as evil. However, context is what changes whether or not it is indeed evil or not. And so that's where I think intentionality is really important when discussing evil, because it creates a context that says, you know, I'm doing this on purpose, or I am doing this on accident. Yeah. And like, it
3: seems like by context, you mean like outcome as well, right? Like,
0: Yeah, that's all a part of the context, right? So you think about in the narrative of the situation, there's a before, a middle, and an end. And so all aspects of that create context.
1: Would you say that there's any sort of natural evil that could occur? I'm thinking like natural disasters, like floods, earthquakes, tsunamis, avalanche,
0: like any
1: of those types of things. Would you call those evil or no? Just they're tragic, but not like evil.
0: I mean, I think there might have been a time back in the day when I would have described it as evil, especially in evangelical circles, you know, the idea of God punishing people with things like that is discussed. But to me, I, I don't consider that, I, you know, an actual, um, I don't consider those evil. I think that nature again is without morality and any morality that we superimpose on nature is just our own projection and not so much what nature is intending to do because truth be told what we've learned through like evolution natural selection and just the 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 history of the world we've seen that there are times where nature responds to things that have happened to it and we see that a lot so if anything nature is more of a mirror than it is anything else it can be used to reflect evil so looking at you know how we are polluting the world and how we see that there are species that are dying or that we see that there are, um, you know, there's flooding or there's, you know, global warming or there's all kinds of different things that are happening where mother nature is responding to what we're doing. Um, So I can see it more of like a mirror to us, but I don't see that nature is ever evil because I don't think that nature has intention behind it. So I guess, I guess, Andy, to your question, intention really means a lot to me.
3: Yeah.
0: I mean, what are I, I've said a lot, but like, how do you guys feel about it? Do you feel like nature has that ability, or how would you even just describe as, evil as? Yeah,
1: I'm kind of with you. Um, I wouldn't say, at least right now, I wouldn't define natural disasters as evil. I would certainly call them tragedies. Yeah. But I think that's something different. I think evil does exist, but. Similar to what you said, I think it's, well, I'll I'll just say this. I I think that evil exists in the same way that things like kindness and hope exist. Like, they're not physical things, but they're both actionable, and their presence can even be felt somewhere, right? You can be with a group of people, and you can feel like, this is not right, this is evil, or you can, you know, oh, this is loving, like, I'm safe here, this is a safe place, these people are, are, uh, are with me and I think that there's anger and hate and despair and a whole host of other hurtful things that evil is kind of the word that we use to roll them all up into one. And it's kind of the same way that we use good as sort of a linguistic container to hold things like love and hope. But I do wonder, I've been thinking about this recently, and so I wonder if evil is sometimes... I this is almost going back to what you said, Devin, about natural disasters. I wonder if evil is sometimes the negative stuff that we can't explain. Like, evil is our appeal to mystery. When something bad happens and we don't have the context for it, we call it evil. So, I've been thinking okay, what if we, like, what would we no longer call evil if we understood the circumstances surrounding it? Or for that matter, what would we still call evil if we knew? I'm almost more interested in that question. What would we still call evil if we knew all the circumstances around it?
3: Yeah. Evil is an incredibly subjective word, meaning like it's a storytelling word. We're not really getting at an actual thing. You know, when you ask, does it exist? I mean, my first thought is like, I think almost everyone who's listening has experienced something or or knows someone who has experienced something that was so devastatingly painful or so directly malicious that they would call it evil. And I feel like that's still, for those instances, that's still a a useful word. Can you ask your second question again?
1: Yeah, so my, my thought was, if we understood the context for something, like what would we no longer call evil? Brian Zahn has a a quote in in his book, "Centers in the Hands of a Loving God, which I think I've quoted most of the episodes that we've done so far. I've quoted Mm -hmm. that book from him. It's a fantastic book. But he says that enemies are people whose story we haven't heard. Yes. Yeah, like first and foremost. And I think that's a fantastic place to start. I don't think that necessarily gets us all the way, but I, I think that's an absolutely fantastic place to start. So yeah, what would you know? What we no longer call evil if we knew the story around it, the context, and then knowing the story and the context, what would we still call evil?
3: Yeah, oh, I really think that's that's a really brilliant question because I think that brings out both sides of it. I think that we do a lot of harm in using that word, evil, when we're speaking from a, a lack of understanding. So I guess, you know, if we're going to get specific, like, okay, 9-11 happens, right? Unbelievable tragedy. People lose their lives. People are angry, very, very understandably outraged. And, you know, we are so quick to paint an enemy for ourselves. Okay. So I think I'm listening right now to the Love Anyway podcast, which is put out by Preemptive Love Coalition, which does this amazing job of giving a a much better understanding of to who are the people who live in Iraq, who are being uh, mistakenly uh, painted as the enemy. Uh, So when we say with broad strokes like, oh, that was evil, Okay, maybe as an action, maybe we could say that about that one single action, but then that story, you know, that word evil gets expanded to just people who look like the people who committed that violence. So maybe we could look at that act, you know, it's so atrociously violent, it causes so much damage and harm. You know, I would look at that and say, it is an evil thing to do. But that evil story then got painted onto a culture or, um, or or a religion. It's very easy for that idea of evil that comes naturally as like a anger, gut reaction to something horrible that happened to then get applied to people we just don't understand. You know, to the first part of your question, you know, what if we fully understood it? would we stop saying is evil? And I think that's an important question to ask is to really carefully make sure we're not making quick assumptions. And to go a lot slower to do a lot more listening, for me that would be a lot more in line with like the the peacekeeping, not the peacekeeping, the peacemaking way of life. I I want to be a part of.
2: To kind of backtrack from the very beginning, I am definitely on board with the idea that evil has to have some form of malicious intent for something to be characterized as evil versus just being bad. I don't think that evil exists in a tangible sense. I think it exists as perhaps like as a psychological manifestation. Like yeah. I don't think that there is an evil thing
0: necessarily. Elaborate but, on that a little bit. What do you mean?
2: I don't think that evil emanates from a source. I think it comes from perhaps an enemies thought process feelings. I think there's a lot of ways that a normal person could do really evil things.
0: Uh, So you're saying that you don't necessarily feel like evil has, or an origin story in the sense of like maybe original sin. Yeah. I don't, well, I I don't really believe that anymore.
2: Yeah. So like not Um, the devil. Oh, definitely not. No, that's, (laughs) I I've been off that wagon for the better part of a decade. I think. Yeah.
1: Like, no, well, I was going to say just yeah. Keep going with that because that's actually the next question: is where does evil come from? So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Say more about that.
2: Well, I think it's an aberration of good things. Um, put less strangely, uh, I think it's a a corruption of of the good. That wasn't that much less strange, but. <laughs> No, um, I re- that really connected
3: that right because yeah, yeah. like all of the things that have set us the most that we can most clearly point to and say that's an evil thing are I think another good word for it is are very dehumanizing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's, it's a violation of someone's basic right to safety and wellness and love. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. all these th- these basic things that we would identify as like that's really human. You, yeah. need, you need that. You need that to survive. You need it to be well. You know, evil is like a clear violation of someone's consent and it, you know,
2: produces suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. To stick with the example that you use of 9-11. So uh, my understanding of extremist thinking is probably, like my limitation of, and my limitation in knowledge of that is probably going to show at some point. But I don't think that the goal, like the, the end goal of that act was just to kill people. And uh, there's probably going to be a lot of heat from that comment. What I mean is killing people is not the goal in and of itself. That was for something else. That something else is probably towards building what they thought was maybe a better world. That desire to create a better world, just in general, I think we all want to create a better world. However, there's a bunch of steps that they took that totally ignored the consent of other people that ignored the value of other people's lives and put their own thinking at the center of their, of the world at the expense of others. I think that's what makes it evil, but simply to create a better world, that desire is not evil, but that idea was corrupted by a bunch of faulty thinking on the way there.
0: So you're kind of saying that, you know, intentions, generally speaking, always start off good.
2: Yeah. I think most actions and, or desires either begin good or amoral. Okay. Um, you think like, Mm. I consider myself a nonviolent person and, and always aim and try to bend towards nonviolence. However, that probably gets thrown out the window as soon as I get punched in the nose. Mm. Like as soon as somebody's fists enters my face, I'm probably like, my ideals are probably gone. Like, probably not thinking. Yeah. And so I, I think in that situation, if I were to get, if I were to be punched, like whatever, I feel like whatever reaction would happen after that for just a sporadic, like a, a brief amount of time would probably just be natural. And I don't really, I don't really want to fault people for having a natural reaction to a violent stimulus. Cause I think, I think that that makes sense as much as I would agree in other contexts that, or as much as I would argue in other contexts that that violent reaction is, is wrong. But, but that's like that's I don't know that's purely like hypothetical. I think at some point we all kind of like abandon our beliefs in in order to to stay alive to some extent. It's going to sound like I'm trying to make it like a justification for it. I understand why people want to do that. I don't think that that makes it right though. So I'm going to throw
3: an objection. Sure, <laughs> yeah, I want to hear it. So hear it. Um, yeah, because I feel I feel like I. I can see the examples you're talking about mm-hmm. and I can see the validity to those particular examples. Yep. But just to kind of broaden out some of the scope here, I don't think we can say that all intentions are either good or amoral. Because I think some things are perpetuated like very calculatedly, knowing they're going to be destructive to other people. Mm-hmm and not having good justification at all. I mean certainly any 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 instance of sexual violence, mm-hmm. any instance of perpetuated systemic oppression, somebody could maybe admit that a racist act is is wrong, but it benefits them financially or in influence and power to perpetuate or exploit mm-hmm. that. At that point, like there's, I, to me, I don't know. I would just like I would say there's like a a whole host of things that mm-hmm. I would object to say. Like, I don't think those. I don't think that everyone is either amoral or has good intentions, and it just goes wrong. I can see those situations happening, but I definitely think that there's things where it's like, no, this was bad from the conception of
2: like. I, so I, I agree. I so I agree. Oh, I, I don't. Think, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, no. No. I, I, yeah, oh. I was going
1: to back you up on that. I, oh. I, I would still, I would trace those things even further back. Right. Like okay, yep, we're, right. like we're already in the systemic system, and yeah, you like perpetuating an
3: evil thing is is not where it started, right? Yeah, but I, I feel like if nothing else, the language you wrap around that, I'm. And I would just, you know, just to advocate for any listeners out there is like, this is making them actively angry. It makes me angry to hear that because that's like, that's like letting, that's like letting someone's personal responsibility be like, well, you didn't, you weren't the first one to perpetuate racism. You weren't the first one to sexually violate someone. So you, so, so, you know, it's not your fault. No, no, everybody's responsible for the role they play for the length they are in the fence. Like totally agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think we're all in agreement that everybody's responsible for their own actions. The point that I, because I do agree with Will, is that the desire doesn't start there, but how we, what we do with that, is what dictates whether or not we go into a horrible place or not. So I kind of would like to share a personal story uh, to kind of explain explain my feelings on this. My friend John has a father who has a violent temper. Father can get abusive. Okay. I think we'd all agree that those are evil behaviors, right? Whenever John grew up and got to know his father more and learn more about his father's history, he realized his father grew up in a home that was substantially more abusive. John now views his father almost in a heroic light because compared to the home that John's father grew up in, John's father was an exceptionally higher improvement of a father than what he had growing up. So when you take John's original perspective, this is wrong, this is evil, this is awful, it's very understandable. But as you zoom the camera out and look at a broader scope, you see that, oh, this is a person who didn't have uh, counseling, who didn't have intervention on their behalf, who grew up in a substantially more abusive environment. And now the improvement from place to place, it's, oh, this is less of a person who's committing evil atrocities and more of a broken person who's really trying to do their best. I'm by no means justifying the behavior. But what I am saying is that when we can step back and see more of the context, I think that's whenever we do kind of what you were describing earlier, Andy, of we're actually able to start creating peace Because the thing that, to answer your question, Ben, that I no longer consider evil is people. I very easily can say people are evil. There are evil people in this world. I have said that. But when you look at the context of what's happening and why these things are happening and why they thought that bombing a building was the best answer, when we back up enough to see where it got misguided, and that's whenever we can start to do something to make a better change for society, for humanity. Again, it's never justifying it, but the point of understanding is to actually find the genesis of the problem, because when you know where the root is, that's when you can do something about it. When you look at the majority of people who are perpetrators of abuse or violence, uh, be it sexual or not, the majority of them were also victims. And so as we zoom the camera out more and more, it's not in an effort to condone the behaviors. It's not in an effort to just whitewash it or say it's okay, or, oh, they were victims. They didn't know any better. It's not that at all. It's to say we have to identify where the problem is so we can figure out where to appropriately repair it. I no longer think that People are evil. I think that we're capable of such terrible and awful things. I've experienced terrible and awful things. I'm married to somebody who's experienced terrible and awful things. I have friends who have experienced terrible and awful things. It's hard to say that any of those people were evil that were hurting them because more often than not, when I learned that person's story too, I learned that they were victims as well. I hate how we do things to hurt one another. And I want to see how we can better help and repair each other. And that's why, again, it's starting with the intentions are good, seeing where it loses track. And from there seeing how can we make sure that this doesn't happen again?
3: Yeah. I think um, one thing that's worth saying too, is there's a, there's definitely some, some both and um, value to, to what we were talking about that, um there are it, it is the right thing to be outraged and angry and just call something out for for what you see it being like there's a moment for that and there is a moment for understanding the layers of trauma for understanding that people cause pain out of their pain so yeah i just i don't know i just want to affirm people who are listening both of those responses belong I don't think the point of this conversation is for us to somehow like answer all the existential questions about evil. We're not going to do that. But if we can, you know, kind of name some of those things and wherever, I don't know, wherever you find yourself or whatever is, is happening, just like those, both of those feelings are okay. If someone's actually being triggered, I would just want them to feel safe and take care of themselves. Probably stop listening probably get some present in the room, make sure they're around someone safe. Uh, But if you're feeling angry because you know of something really unjust or something really terrible that's happened to someone that you care about, you know, that belongs. It's okay to feel that way.
0: Hey everyone this is Devin. Whenever we think about the horrible things that people are capable of doing, it brings with it a wealth of emotions, anger, sadness, frustration. These are just some of the feelings that can be uprooted by this topic. We want you to know that all of those feelings are normal. They're all important. They all belong. For anyone who is feeling deeply, we want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you. We do have a few things that we'd like to encourage you to do. If you're beginning to have a strong emotional reaction to this discussion, take a break. Surround yourself with safe and loving people. Find someone to talk to. If you don't have anyone to talk to, reach out to a professional. At some point or another, each of us has or is currently going to counseling. We believe strongly in the benefits of counseling and encourage everyone at some point to sit down and experience its benefits. For those of our listeners who are currently experiencing anything that violates your consent, if you're experiencing things that are physically, emotionally, spiritually, or sexually abusive, if you're experiencing toxic relationships, we encourage you, please seek help. You are worth experiencing love. No matter what you've done in your past, no one deserves to suffer in unsafe relationships or places. Please seek professional help you're worth it you deserve having your consent respected you deserve physical emotional spiritual and sexual safety you deserve safe and healthy love and again we encourage you to please seek help no one should go through this alone or at all
2: one thing that I've been thinking about over the last few minutes is um, like, at what point did my understanding of evil begin to really deviate from like the Christian narrative that I remember hearing about so often, like growing up, like one thing that (laughs) I, 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 I shouldn't, I laugh because it's ridiculous. Like I will go on record and I will say, I think this idea is ridiculous when people talk about, like the LGBT agenda as being evil.
3: Yeah. Like when you're
2: <clears throat> like, when you ascribe that language to like, and you like demonize like in, in an agenda, like I, I think actually that's when I started to deviate. You, you know, I think <laughs> I've answered my own question. It's, I yeah. think that's, I think that's when, cause I was like, hold up. Like that's
1: I think it's a, probably a perfect example of not knowing someone's story. Mm-hmm. Not not having the context and the information and and labeling something evil,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yep. There's probably there, there might be people that listen to that and say like, Wait, so he thinks that that's silly that I said that that was evil. Yeah, come at me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll square up. We'll have a discussion about that. You're such a pacifist.
0: But, we'll square up. We'll square up. talk it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, I don't know when it started. I can't think of a specific time, but when it really took root is when I saw people use it almost like a justification for why it was okay. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just a fallen person. It's why it's okay mm-hmm. to do this. And it's funny because I, I might sound hypocritical for the comments that I was just making about like how we're all broken people, but it, the, they would use it as like a justification to like, oh, it's I'm just a broken person. You know, I'll, I'll pray about it. No, you won't. You're just an like you're just being and it's not okay because we're broken people but then watching people who are like oh I, I just i was under like a spiritual attack nah man you were having a rough week and you were being a dick. like it's not it's not anyone's fault but your own like why you're doing this and so i think that taking like that personal responsibility the more i started to do it in my life the more i started to just step back now with that said I don't know where I land on is there you know are there um, evil forces are there demons are is there Satan like I don't I don't know I just don't feel like we should deify the devil by saying that God that Satan is equal to God like that they're these counterpart enemies of like. All I can think of are Marvel movies, but it's, this is the hero with a set of powers. And here's the villain with the equal set of powers, which one will win. But I feel like that's how we talk about the devil and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it's a good thing to ascribe such epic power to this thing that if it does exist, um, I feel like we shouldn't be like inflating it to the place, to the status of, of almost equal to God. Mm Mm-hmm yeah I think maybe like a, a a less
2: angsty way to like phrase the question would be like at what point at what point did your understanding of evil like have to expand or potentially narrow or like at, at what point did the at what point was the box that you were given too small to be of any of any more use on this?
1: Yeah, I think at some point I, the explanation like basically the basic problem of evil for any theist there is a all-powerful all-controlling god who created everything therefore he must have created evil or at least created a system where evil can exist and he's all-powerful but he doesn't stop evil for a long time i was willing to just say oh yeah we just we don't know we don't have the answer to that one at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and just appeal to mystery and i got to a point where that was that was no longer something that i could do and That kind of started that process for me. So I read Thomas J. Ord's book, The Uncontrolling Love of God, and that was really, really interesting to me, this idea that God's love is fundamentally uncontrolling because that's what love is. And so this idea that everything comes out of love, even that evil at its core is always a perversion of something, I think that says something really interesting about the nature of the universe and... And potentially the God who created it, that the source is good, and evil is the corruption.
3: Ben, I think uh, I think I cross over with you there in terms of um, what started that for me, because I think for me before I started really, before I started changing, maybe what I would call evil. Because I, I, I'm not the kind of person who was calling a lot of things evil, just personally. You know what I mean? Like I'd hear other people talk about things as evil, um, but I think I reserve that word for things I felt especially strongly about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember, and I think this kind of plays into you know, a question that you had as well, Ben, that I, I remember that moment where I could no longer believe that God was in control of everything. right like that those ideas couldn't exist that there couldn't be evil or suffering in the world and god be completely signing off on everything that happened like at some point i had to choose between could god, was god good or was god completely in control like those two things couldn't keep living in the same space while i kept existing and meeting more people who were in pain or had suffered in some way once I let go of that and let go of the idea that maybe God wasn't in control in the way that I had thought, and then from there, I think I started wanting to learn about the consequences of things that happened. So the the measuring things by by the results, by the outcomes a little bit more. So, you know, you brought up the LGBTQ question, you know, it didn't take very long, it didn't take very long for me to realize that LGBTQ people were suffering a lot more in this exchange than evangelical Christians were. Mm-hmm. Um, that we were producing a whole bunch of suffering and really were just offended by their presence, but we were, you know we didn't actually have anything on the line, nothing to lose in this sense, except for an attachment to an idea. Mm-hmm. I think that you know that just ripples down to to other things where you know it, again evil is it's a story and a lot of time it, a lot of times it's a it's a story word so if we can unpack like the results and the outcomes um you know I think I think from there we can start to assert like no like you said at the beginning again Ben like what what things would we still call evil well yeah I'd still call things that violate consent, dehumanize people, cause suffering. You know, I think we can, I think we can all look at that and measure it. I think we'd all agree and call it evil. It doesn't, I don't think that's as hard to nail down as maybe we might think.
1: I love that you just called it a, like a story word. You use that a couple of times now. I love that. I'm going to use that. I think it's phenomenal.
2: Andy, I, th- I am definitely there with you where just ad- admitting that God maybe isn't in control of, of, of all the things. Um, that was initially a really frightening thing because it is abandoning and like attachment to an idea that's initially frightening. I think that's I think that's normal. Anytime you change your mind about something, it, it can be scary. Ultimately, it I think it wound up being a very very freeing thing, and so this dovetails in with the problem of evil that if God is omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and uh, and all knowing, I forgot the omni word for that one there. And that's embarrassing. Um, omniscient, omniscient. There we go. <laughs> that's embarrassing.
0: Um, only for a Bible scholar, say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, only, yeah, only for somebody who studied that for six years. <laughs> um, through the power of editing, we can make it like it never happened.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, if he's omnibenevolent, omniscient, and <laughs> All powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Omnipotent. Omnipotent, Omniscient. Omniscient. Omnibenevolent. I've never heard of (laughs) omnibenevolent. What is that? There's a different word for it. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, so that's, that's, so yeah, so that's God is all good. good. So if God, if that God created the world and there's evil, then therefore that God cannot exist, is kind of how the logical argument goes because if that God exists, then he should be able to get rid of evil and chooses to not to, which means that he's not good. Correct. And is a turd um, or that he can't, and he's not omnipotent. And so I think, I think kind of looking at that logical, at at that argument, and it was never really my intention to be like uh, Epicurus was, was right. would be the guy who, originally, I think, posed that argument. But looking, looking into that and saying, maybe that's not the God I thought I was you know, f- trying to fall in love with the entire time. Letting go of Omnigod, I think, has been really beneficial in humanizing evil. Yeah, that's kind of a loaded word, but Devin, like some of the things that you're talking about with learning about the stories of people who, who do harm, at least creates a sense of compassion, I think, for that person. I don't think at any point things that I've said make an excuse for why people do what they do or justify it or exonerate them simply because we might be closer to understanding them. But I think people who perpetrate evil are de facto enemies. And I think the scandalous and upsetting thing is that they're important too. looking at Jesus's story and his teachings. And I think out of all the things that I can readily, without heaviness, abandon about you know certain facets of the Christian faith that I grew up with, I don't want to let go of anything that Jesus talked about. I don't want to let go of his mission. So that makes talking about evil really kind of difficult because you have to humanize Mm. people that
0: perpetrate pain. I I think you're saying what I was trying to say a lot better. When you look at the story of Jesus and you look at the humanizing aspect of what a lot of Jesus' teachings were about, I have a really hard time with calling people evil anymore because, you know, I've hurt people. Mm. I've destroyed people's hearts I've been cruel to people, and not only did I not care that I was being cruel to them, but like I sought pleasure out of it because I was angry because I was hurt, and yet I believe that Jesus loves me, so what I don't understand is why, as Christians, why we have such a hard time paying forward that command, paying forward that love that we were first loved. Therefore, we should love others because I think that in in our community, we use the word evil and I love how you said it as a story mechanism. Man, I think that's so good. But we paint, paint these really broad strokes with people and we are doing nothing but dehumanizing them. And that word evil is so quickly dehumanized because it's so closely tied to the story of Satan. Tied to demons, tied to mystery, tied to things that we don't understand. And what I love, and Ben, you talked about this, this idea that sometimes we just use the word evil almost as a substitute for mystery. I don't understand X, therefore it is evil. I don't understand X, and I feel as though it's intruding on me or my understanding or my life. Therefore, I call it evil. And I'd like to hear a little bit more, if you can, about like... Because I th- I really enjoyed how you shared about about that.
1: What was the question? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you talked really well about the mystery and how we conflate mystery with evil sometimes.
1: Yeah, I just think that... Sometimes we do use the word evil just as a sort of catch-all for things we don't understand that affect us negatively or appear to affect us negatively. Yeah, like I said before, it's, a, it's an appeal to mystery. You know, I've heard people say, well, I don't know about that, it's just evil, or even just the phrase, it's just evil, I think is some kind of appeal to mystery. Maybe even an unwillingness to even look at the story. Maybe it's a conscious appeal to mystery or a conscious attempt to be dismissive. I don't know why LGBTQ people are the way they are. It's just evil. It would be an example. It's just an unwillingness to even take the next step and and
2: figure out the story. Yeah, Yeah, I always interpret that phrase as the latter. I see where you're coming from with, like, sometimes we do use evil as an appeal to mystery. But I think in... In cases like that, I think it's definitely uh, an, an appeal to not go any further. And I think in, in a, I think in a lot of cases, like remembering times when I was like that, just not knowing how to go further. And I think in a lot of cases, like when I was hiding in, in church with my beliefs and just trying to fit in, I'd probably say things like that, but I was still questioning it um, at the same time. Well, and Will, early you brought
1: up a really interesting point that I think works well here, is the idea that So if we're being dismissive, we're not humanizing it, right? Because it's easy to talk about an issue, but the second you make it a person, it's entirely different.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. And Mm.
0: yeah, I don't know. That's the only point I want to make on that. I Mm. I, I totally
1: get, yeah, I agree with what you were saying. Yeah, I think it's important.
0: Well, I think there's also an aspect of discomfort to it. And again, it's not to condone uh, or justify why people don't want to Look deeper into that mystery, or they don't want to move any further, or they want to keep it as a thing that is evil rather than as a person, is because it's really scary when you start questioning everything. Like, well, if God's not omniscient, God's not omnibenevolent, if God's not omnipotent, like, what does that mean? What does it mean for this, that, or the other? But I think that, um, I don't know, I think that while it's been challenging, that my life has always improved from asking those questions and not just trying to continue doing mental gymnastics, because when I do it, what I'm finding is on the other side of that process that I'm more apt to love and less likely to do things that others could consider evil. I think that is a huge way that we battle, quote, you know, battle the problem of evil in the world.
3: I have kind of a question um it's not kind of a question it's a question a regular <laughs> one for all of you have you encountered times when the idea of spiritual evil has added either anxiety, complexity or like an added layer of pain to someone's experience I think for me like I'll I'll dive in and you and you let me know you but I I for myself and for people close to me, we, we have stories about how the idea of demons or the idea of this evil unseen thing added a layer of pain on top of pain that was already actually happening. Mm. So you almost have like suffering on top of suffering because we didn't know what to do with that and and i think that like the reason i thought of this was you're talking about you know when we use that word to explain something that we just don't understand i guess my question is like are there times when using that word about something that you don't understand makes us impose either on ourselves or on other people more pain more suffering more complication than maybe is needed yeah. Uh
1: hmm.
0: yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I was going to say, yeah,
1: I think you're probably yes is the answer to that question.
0: Yep. You're adding anxiety and fear and concern to it. And I think what's really interesting about your question is that there's a really, really good example in the bible of it <laughs> like you look at the book of job right that's basically what all of his friends did to him it's like what did you do to bring this on yourself we're adding this idea whenever you say like oh it's demonic attack like number one holy shit, like there's, right there's like, like <laughs> ah like not it's not just a day like, sorry it's not just a bad day like there's Demons? Like, <laughs> I'm not getting better, but <laughs> good luck editing. Um, but, like, I just, it's, that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but, but there are times whenever, uh, whenever I do like the idea, and that's why, like, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm all done with the idea of demons or whatever for me personally, because there are times whenever, you know, like, uh, either my wife or myself will wake up, like, just terrified, like, just anxiety, just feeling this unbelievable sense of oppression and for me the the language used to describe that is like this is oppressive this is oppression this is potentially like um, darkness in our home or or something is like oppressing us some unknown force Uh, but for her and I what's been extremely comforting is that in these moments that you know we can roll over to one another and just say hey will you pray with me and having that aspect of somebody praying with you and through things together um, has been like really, really encouraging and uplifting. And it also when you look at prayer as a form of meditation, it's also putting our place in a in our mind, going to a place to experience, Love, peace, and safety. But the idea of like, oh, it's a demonic attack, or oh, you're under demonic oppression. Like, I think that our lack of understanding has greatly inflicted harm on others by just adding that layer to it because we didn't understand any better. I love your question. I think it's super great, man. Yeah. I, I think it
1: moves from, Will, what you were saying. You want to make it, you want to humanize it. And I think what you're saying is when we do that, we almost we dehumanize the person even Mm. like we're it it could certainly go that way
3: yeah yeah i think i've just (laughs) you know i've just heard so many stories of you know people who are going through something that later they can look back at and say you know there's reasons there was like trauma experience that hadn't that they hadn't been able to deal with. And instead of like, instead of good questions being asked, instead of community of people coming around and just being human together, they, you know, people are praying against the devil. And like, you know, sometimes we're talking kids who are just like doing the math of, of like, okay, I was already having a hard time. And now everybody's coming around like, Praying the devil away from me, and so mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, it's- I know that this is almost like a a caricatured, I you know, I know the oh. scenario, the scenario, uh, uh, but maybe it's not. I mean, maybe that's more. I oh, know right. <laughs> yeah.
2: this
3: is like a pretty legit example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, I think I, I, I guess yeah. I'm just, I guess if we're gonna talk about evil, I think there's just, um, it's worth bringing up the the times when we use that word to create. Uh, a whole new level of distress other than the real actual distress.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this is a, a weird example. The, the clearest example I, in my experience was, uh, it, so when I was touring, I experienced sleep paralysis, uh, which was a really freaky experience. And I had just taken like a class on spiritual warfare the semester prior. And I had done a bad thing that evening,
0: mm.
2: evening. then I experienced sleep paralysis now, sleep paralysis for people that don't that don't know, it's you feel an, an intense experience of like like a weight, like either on your chest or a dark presence in a room, and you can't do anything about it. You have a hard time breathing. It sort of feels like an anxiety attack, except you're immobile and uh, like your body's asleep, but your mind's not. And that's all it is. It's so your body's asleep, and your mind isn't. And there is a disconnect between the two, but I thought I was being punished <laughs> for what I had done, and it turns out that that just happens if you are exhausted and stressed, and that's that's all it was. But there is this like narrative from things that had been built up over, like over time, and then in an extreme example, over the course of three months with this class I was taking, yeah, I, and I wasn't necessarily better off for for knowing about that. Once I discovered what sleep paralysis was, I was like, oh, oh, well, that's. Maybe I'm not a bad person after all. Like I was just hot, tired, and stressed. <laughs> I think that placing the impression of spiritual evil, demonic activity and things like that onto our own experience really kind of only fits in one way of thinking about the world. And that is in a I think in a very traditional sense of Jesus versus evil, where these different forces are at war for our attention and our love really and the wrong choice leads you to hell because i I think like the the only thing that you really have to gain by telling somebody about that if you believe that there is a heaven and that you are personally responsible for other people making it there then that's a great tactic to maybe try to think make people think that you're right but that's pretty much like the only circumstance in which i think that even even makes sense And it it makes sense only in the sense that it's like internally, logically like sound, but it doesn't actually jive, I think, with like people's lived experiences and the fact that it just adds layers of pain on top of normal experiences that people are having and dodges some of the actual pain that you could try to work through Mm -hmm. using
0: healthy techniques and not just putting weird stories on top of it. I appreciate you sharing that story because growing up, I struggle, I lifelong struggle with insomnia. When I was younger, I had night terrors. And whenever I found out, you know, that how do you, how do you pray away the devil when you're sleeping? Like it just compounded my fear of sleep. Like I was already terrified to go to sleep because I've had, you know, night terrors where I woke up face down in my pillow with sleep paralysis where I was unable to move and I can't really breathe well because I'm face down in a pillow. And like, so it's just panic and anxiety. And then on top of that, the devil's coming. Right. Yeah. And so, it was just like a really terrifying thing because, you know, it it, it definitely increased my anxiety. Mm-hmm. It definitely made me more afraid. But that's kind of what I'm talking about when I talk about how we we elevate the devil to such a strong place. Like, I was more afraid of Satan than I was in love with God. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, like, yeah, it's super easy to say, like, God, you can't be a loving God to allow, like this person who's so powerful to just walk around like lambasting humanity, like what is going on? And so it's, it's, that's where for me, at least, regardless of whether or not, um, because I've had just really, I've had, I've had experiences that can only be described as like mystical and mysterious, uh, that I'm not ready to just say, yeah, I think it's all a bunch of hooey. Um, I also don't care if somebody is ready to say that, like, I don't, I don't think about the world in those terms. And so I don't usually care about those things, but I do not want to, if the devil's real, I don't want to say like, it's nearly as powerful as it is. Like that just doesn't seem like a good thing to do. Uh, number one, but number two, like, I just, I guess it comes down to the question of, do you actually believe that like God is good or God is big? Like, I feel like we have a really small God that's working so hard to compete with the devil. And I just, my experiences have not been, been that. I don't know. Mm. I, uh, yeah, I think it's a really short leap
1: from the devil is coming after me to God is punishing me.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm. Man, that's good.
2: Mm. Wow. Yeah. So that, line of thinking I think has actually been around in Christianity for like a long time. Like maybe not since like the early church, but have have you guys, are you guys familiar with the, the hymn a mighty fortress is our God? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Martin Luther wrote that one. Have you like looked at all of the stanzas, like all of the verses of that song or just like the popular parts? It's, it's weird as hell. It's so weird. Like, it's the title, (laughs) A Mighty Fortress is Our God. There's, like, one verse that's, like, actually talking about God. The rest of it's talking about, like, how powerful and, like, uh, malicious Satan is. And yeah, I didn't didn't think much of it at the time. I just, I like, when I first saw that, I was probably, I don't know, it was, like, maybe close to 10 years ago. And I was like, that's kind of weird that he's, he's really fixating on what seems to be the wrong object. But if the title that he gave this poem like is any indication i think in a lot of cases people or at least in some cases people seem to need evil to exist externally to make sense of like anything and even to make sense of god well it it seems like we can't really talk about having a good god unless we talk about other things that we see as evil existing like we need to have an it's it's like we almost need to have an answer for why things can be bad
1: yes that's really interesting Does does that make sense yeah so one of the questions that i had that i wanted to bring up was can god and evil coexist which i think is kind of kind of what you're pointing at is like what is
2: the okay if they both exist how are they relating to each other yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think they can i think they can coexist and i think that you have to qualify both terms quite a bit to the point where once you start talking about a god that can coexist with evil you're not talking about the traditional idea of god that a lot of people have grown up with or i feel like at least i picked up what i'm more curious about is the way that we talk about God and evil and the way that that has become normative within the church or had become normative. Cause I, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just curious that there's like an obsession about evil.
0: We don't actually need it. Like we don't actually need to talk about it. I really, I've really fixated more so on, on how you keep referencing the language that we use to talk about it. And I think that that's really interesting the more that I think about it because the, the language creates this downward spiral of, of awfulness. Because when you think about the language of like, we are evil and God can't look at us. We're cursed from birth by original sin. The devil is basically out to get us to seek, kill, and destroy. Like when you continue to talk about that language, God becomes further and further and further away and it feels less and less like we're being rescued and more and more like we're waiting for the last rowboat off the Titanic. It doesn't feel like God is loving. It feels like we're hoping for that lucky ticket to make it off the, the right. Titanic, you know. And I see that. I see that toxic environment pervasive so much in the church where we spend so much time focusing on evil and how bad we are and how awful things are that again that what we do is we end up building up evil more and more and more and as we do that god somehow becomes smaller and smaller and less accessible to go full circle. It takes me back to Andy with what you're saying about whenever we keep introducing evil and the devil, when what we should be doing is focusing on how to be a better community, how to love each other, how to pray with one another, how to like provide meals for each other, how to, to weep together, how to be together.
3: I was thinking about this earlier that both real goodness and real evil require participation require you know an active involvement from human beings so when I think about the worst evils that people have suffered you know that took participation that took cooperation and then when I think about the best of what I see in the world. The most stunning, the most beautiful acts between human beings, that takes participation. So there's actually a verse where um, Jesus kind of references that participation where it says, no one has ever seen God, but when we love one another, God lives in union with us. So it's just that idea that I think I had never considered before that both evil and destruction and not, not natural destruction like you mentioned earlier Ben but you know that malicious intentional destruction that I think we've, we've kind of agreed is is an evil thing and recreation and restoration and beauty both of those things involve human participation so I guess my hope is that we would see evil less as like the darkness lurking behind the bush that we just can't explain and are afraid of or maybe the person that we don't fully understand but that we'd come to see it as something we can engage with or disengage with that it's something and the same with creation and restoration and hope and joy these are things we can choose to participate in and as we participate in they get created in the world the same way that you can decide to use your energy for destruction and it gets created in the world, or you can decide to use your energy for love and healing and it gets created in the world. Like it it almost takes on an energy or life form of its own.
0: I really love that. I feel like that's like a great place to end.
3: No one's gonna top that.